1: welcome back everyone this is the big blue banter podcast where we aim to combine game film analysis with analytics and the eye test and i am here and i'm dan schneier your co-host joined by my co-host as always nick kirchin and today we're here to break down the first round of the 2019 nfl draft and everything that came with it the new york giants entered this draft with two draft picks in the first round but by the end of it as many of us have predicted over the last few weeks, they traded up—not back, but up—to get one more draft pick. So we're going to jump right into this thing with our reaction to the first pick, and obviously the most controversial pick, and that's Daniel Jones at number six overall. So Nick, let's start with you and your initial reaction on the pick.
2: Uh, yeah, initial reaction was uh, was shocked to see the developments as they were uh, after the Raiders did what they did at the fourth pick. Um, taking a guy that I liked in Farrell, but I thought that made that open up the options for the giants at six. Uh, and just, um, just, I mean, there's no other way to say it. I was shocked. It was shocking. I had to put out my Jones thread early. Um, uh, and just in general, I, I don't see how you can get into even a second round grade for, for Dan Jones at this point in his career. Um, but, and it just, you know, they, they think that, and they, they, I think we could, we can come away with some things that they really value um, moving forward. The quarterback position because i think it's very clear uh the contrast in picking jones over say haskins or over say rosen
1: yeah i mean here here's what i say about that i believe that you know if it, i i'm not sure exactly where the giants were on the josh rosen trade fund i mean from what we've heard from giants general manager dave gettleman uh he all he, they never discussed terms with arizona all they told them was that you know keep us in mind in case and what we've heard since at least from one report is that the cardinals wanted a first round pick back for josh rosen now i don't know the certainty of any either of those reports a lot of reports around draft time are in my opinion factually incorrect but we'll find out soon depending on if the uh sorry if the cardinals move rosen today but as far as the decision to draft jones my initial reaction is this i was very surprised i know that there were reports that dropped, you know, uh, even as recently as just before the draft from Ralph Acciano of S&Y, who really does have an excellent track record uh, when it comes to predicting Giants draft picks. So keep an eye on that going forward. He is well connected inside that building. And he said Jones is in play at six. And it still shocked me because I did believe that Jones is a project. And I don't really understand taking a project with a pick that high. Now the Giants clearly view the situation differently. They were convinced whether it's right or wrong, that a team was going to select Jones before their second first round pick at number 17 overall. They were convinced the Redskins were going to trade up. There's been reports that Jay Gruden, the coaching staff, was in love with Jones, but uh, Daniel Schneider, the owner, wanted Dwayne Haskins. Uh, There's even speculation that the Broncos were going to make a surprising play at Jones at number 10. And you see a draft video, um, the Broncos released a video after the draft where they already had a trade in place with the Pittsburgh Steelers but it was contingent on something. What was that something? I don't know. But after the Jones pick was made, Denver's, uh, it wasn't Elway, it was the, their second in, ha- uh, second in command, called up the Steelers, and was like, uh, do you guys still want to do the trade? So, you know, there is some belief, and obviously Jenny Brentes of Monday Morning Quarterback, who's well-connected in the NFL, uh, including Ralph Acciano, who also says multiple sources have told him the NFL is a lot higher on Daniel Jones than, you know, consensus, than we may be or than, you know, uh, a consensus among NFL draft experts. So the decision to take Jones at six with all that in mind, um, you know, is a little less perplexing to me, Nick. I get some of that. And, you know, that's part of the, the I guess, the intensity and the pressure that you're put on as a general manager. If you really do have a strong conviction on, on your guy. Um, now, the, it's clear the Giants have a strong conviction on Jones. And moving on from that, it's time for us to kind of break down and evaluate who he is as a prospect. So I want to throw this to you, Nick, right now. Can you give us your initial just kind of quick reaction and evaluation on Jones and where you see him in his development? Can he develop into that franchise quarterback the Giants are obviously hoping he will be by using the number six pick?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, he's um, there's there's elements of his game that are very, very good. He's, he's, he's very athletic for his rather thin frame when I was standing next with so the senior ball, he's kind of gangly. He's a little more gangly than you'd expect because you know the hits that he's taking. To be honest, I expected a little more of a stockier stockier kind of build. Um, you know, uh, the, the first thing that jumps to my mind that he, where he fits in with what the Giants do uh, or want to do or their answer for problems that the defense present is in the quick game. Um, during the season, during his senior season, he wasn't, honestly, that he wasn't, I don't think he excelled in this area, but in the Temple game, after a month of hanging with his team and hanging with his coach and probably circling up with his professional coaches. And, you know, one of his professional professional coaches is, uh, is or private coaches, I should say is Eli Manning's private coach and the, his quick game and his accuracy in the quick game from basically you know zero to 12 yards was very good in the temple game. And his ability and his footwork was a lot cleaner in that game. So you saw a market uptick after a month of basically probably thinking what he needs to do to, to put some good tape out there to be professional, so I kind of like that element. I think the Giants emphasize that, and we'll continue to emphasize that because that's Pat Shermer's answer to put to pressure, and it's basically the best thing for the Giants too with their current offensive line. Uh, so I get that side of it. Uh, the other part that you really have to see if they really fit, that they really like right now about him is his, is his mobility, his ability to throw on the rod. He, I mean, this is going to sound kind of fucked up. I think he's actually a better thrower on the run when he's actually moving laterally than Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray does an unbelievable job of moving and then resettling himself. Actually, Lincoln Riley does a great job at a clinic of showing this and then resetting his feet and firing. When you actually are moving laterally, it's very difficult to do. Jones is very good. He actually flashes a lot. Good little details, like gets downhill with the target almost always consistently. Stuff that you can see he's built for the bootleg game. If you think about it, right. you know Eli Manning ran the bootleg game a lot this year. He has no threat to run. Jones is a threat to run as well. So it's a nice kicker to add on there, and something else they can work with. Um, I would say too, which is really funky to mention. I can't believe I mentioned this, but Daniel Jones' placement on a screen on screen passes is very very good. He always throws like always. It was really weird. He rarely missed his place on what uh, throw screen balls. and in general. Well, his, I think, he throws a pretty deep ball and he ends up doing it in his decision making for the deep ball needs to improve. But when he does throw it in and it works, it, it looks pretty good. So I know, I know the potential is there. That's where he is right now. His, the downside, his issues are all in his footwork, his pocket movement, his pocket refinement, and as well as his play speed to deliver the ball on time. And the best guy who did a breakdown of that recently is Dan Orlovsky on Twitter, uh, showing him around actually, it's a good morning football, I think. Uh, showing it basically a breakdown of him throwing a Haas concept and basically kind of messing up and what he does when he messes up. His footwork breaks down and his and kinda of his ability as a second reaction thrower is not really there. So that's the improvement. I think he has clear areas he needs to improve and but he has some he has some clear things that he that he's that he's very good at.
1: Yeah, Nick, and it's interesting because uh, you know when I started to think this was going to happen, I did a, br- a quick breakdown on Twitter just because I went back and rewatched every single game that I could find on Jones, and you know I do think that the Giants like the touch he shows on tape, the timing and the quick passing game, and that's obviously something Shermer stresses. The athleticism, like you said, he made some big time throws on rollouts and not just even design plays. Sometimes when he rolled out of the pocket and made a throw on the run, these are things that I think that Pat Shermer believes. Could help unlock his offense. I do believe that, and he does a really good job, Nick. And this is not something that we touch on of of making the throws before taking the hit. He's a really tough quarterback, in a sense, a lot like Eli Manning was back in you know his early days. Um, from that standpoint, but I mean, if you watched his game film, and the Giants obviously have watched a lot, a lot of it, uh, and you didn't, and and you didn't say that you saw qu- questionable decision making, you know, dropped interceptions lack of drive on his on his passes outside the hashes down the seams, over the top um and you weren't concerned about what kind of prospect you know about what a prospect like that could translate to in MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford in the winds of East Rutherford then you're just fooling yourself because there are certainly things to worry about when you watch his film and that's what makes him a project to me now like I said I'm I'm I came away more impressed with his arm talent than I originally thought when I went to my first review of him. Cause he made a lot more wild throws and big time throws than I expected. And like you, ta- like you said to me off air, Nick um, and you can go over this again, but what, what, what were, what were you told from an arm talent standpoint?
2: You're kind of going through. And if you talk to a lot of quarterback evaluators, whether it's just clinic speak at clinics and what we mean by that, when coaches speak to either lower level coaches or high school coaches, at, at clinics or stuff like what I've been exposed right. to, talking to guys like uh, like Ken Zampese, who's who coached both Baker Mayfield and Carson Palmer more more famously at Cincinnati, they all talk about having just good enough arm talent. If they have three things they want, it's that that box of arm talent is in the just good enough because the ability the ability to to distribute on time and with good placement, the accuracy trumps that by far. If you are not accurate in this league, you do not survive. And right. so that's where I think that that's where guys kind of get, get hooked on him a little bit or kind of believe Jones checks that box. And you kind of have, you have the mental makeup that they like. So I think two of those big boxes are checked. I think the other two or three, you know, in terms of consistent accuracy right. and consistent decision-making, because this decision-making as you're saying, is right there too. So I think the borderline on those, but, but I think you aren't count sizing.
1: Yeah, and I can understand that, Nick. But my question for you with regards to that, and this is kind of what I was driving at before I let you explain that, is what happens, because this is a big concern of mine, what happens when he's forced off-script and off-platform? Do you think that that is an area where, you know, because teams, in my opinion, in the NFL can really do a good job of game planning against uh, players with, just good enough, or I guess limited arm talent. Because if you if you put enough pressure and you cloud that pocket enough, and you force him to make throws off script, or when he's not set, or when a quarterback's not set, and you know you force these throws to come outside the hash marks instead of over the middle with a quick timing game, you know what exactly do you see? Or I'll ask you. Uh, let me frame it like this, Nick. How do you see Jones as a prospect combating that that plan of attack on the defensive side of the ball? A heavy blitz, a heavy. I'm it's not
2: to give the college. It's not to give the college answer, but you know, his, his ability with his legs and ability to make the good decisions outside the pocket are, are just as important as inside the pocket. So, like, is he going to be able to drive? Well, there's actually one example in the I think it was in the Temple game um, where he actually does do this and he actually throws a tight one throw, a low line drive throw on the same hash. That's a close nearby throw, but um, you know, that's what he was able to do in college, which you know, check that box. Does he do it consistently? No. And more importantly, I think when he's outside the pocket, he makes the wrong decision when he's outside the pocket. There are times situational in games where he's throwing a cross into the green and his team's up by three touchdowns. And I don't know who's talking to him on the bench, but like, why are they saying why that ball that he needs a little bit of help with. Um, So the answer for the, at the NFL side is it's not that you can just, I think the answer is this. If if you at, at the NFL level and as it currently exists right now, the quarterback is two point five seconds before he's gonna get hit, no matter what. What can right. you do in that two point five seconds? That is the entire game. So outside of structure, you can't bet on that. You can't when that happens, okay. in my opinion, make it play with your legs or get the fuck out of there because you can't Okay. The guys that rely on that, like Number one, they're gonna give you big plays. Like if you watch Baker Mayfield off script, he almost looks like he's unscripted. So he's so good. Yeah. And that's because he's, he's coached so well. So you're not gonna have that element with Jones. But that's why he's not you know, let's be honest, he's not a top tier, or at least in most guys' minds, I don't think he's not a upper first level first round guy. So, you know, it doesn't mean he can't get there, but where he is right now, yeah, that's that's not part of his game where I think you're gonna get wowed.
1: Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point there. And it, it, it is, you know, we can't deny what Gettleman said is, is to the most part, at least goes along the lines of what you just said, Nick, that a lot of the, you still have to make the play from the pocket. And Shermer said the same thing a lot. That's where most of the game is played. But, you know, at the same time, there are aspects of, of Jones's game that I wish he would get more aggressive with. And one of them is running the ball. And I hope that Shermer will have, you know, a more, I guess, risk. Ed- I don't know what the right word is, but, you know, he needs to have more design runs uh, in, in his game at the NFL level. I really do believe that. I said that when I posted a breakdown of him last weekend. And I believe that his athleticism as a runner, and especially his straight line speed, has to be factored in. If you're going to draft a player like this, you, you have to use that. You have to use more zone read. You have to use more design rollouts and design run plays in general. But I do think that one thing when it comes to Jones, and you could tell me if you saw this as well on tape, Nick, I'm very interested, is that, while he does have impressive athleticism as a straight-line runner, I don't know if I believe in his ability to move laterally, which to me is more important when it comes to moving within the pocket and then moving outside the pocket and making throws on the run. Did you see the same thing, questionable athleticism from a lateral standpoint rather than you know moving straight forward as a straight-line runner?
2: Not in a, Not in a movement perspective or in his body-moving perspective, but in his habits. Within the pocket to staying square to to being downfield, absolutely. I mean, that's why one of his biggest problems is.
1: Okay.
2: Yep. And and I would say that's through his footwork. So we're talking about sliding, we're talking about shuffling. Right. I don't think that's an athleticism thing. I think that's a look. I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I think it's a good thing. You know, you're either coaching or you're allowed it to happen. That's the quote. So that tape is out there for years on this guy, and I'm I'm wondering like why that's why that wasn't really addressed because you can distribute the ball a lot better when your shoulders are in position to fire the ball away. And especially in this league, where like we said, you're going to get hit at 2.7 seconds. So, But back to point, though, you're exactly right. 66% of all dropbacks, drop a lot of coaches think the quarterback has to move somewhat. Not scramble, but move off his spot. That's right. the reality of the NFL. So, yeah, has he mastered that? Not a chance. Like, and he needs massive improvement there. And some would say that that was Haskins' issue as well. And it's like, yeah, yeah that that yeah, that was a problem with him as well. And you see it with college quarterbacks because they either grit their way through it by taking the hit, or the pass rush it just doesn't. They're able to they're able to kind of avoid it much more easily or much quickly than, than they are at the NFL for sure.
1: Yeah, and I guess I didn't. Ex- I, I I'm happy you broke that down there because you explained exactly what I was seeing. I just saw it in a different way, and I don't have technical terms to know exactly you know what I was seeing. And to me, it was a lateral quickness issue. But but you said it best and. It's interesting what you say, Nick, about the percentage of play, uh, plays where a quarterback does need to, to reshuffle and reset the pocket. And it's interesting to me, Nick, because before the draft, on multiple occasions, Pat Shermer said, what I'm looking for in a quarterback is the ability to clean his feet, he calls it, in the pocket. And that's just exactly what you just described. And if he hasn't seen it yet from Daniel Jones, you have to believe that, you know, I guess it's a projection thing where he believes that he can coach that out of him. We didn't exactly see that. From Eli uh, last year, but that's a different story, I believe, because he's so much older at, at 38, and he's been there's so much you know, there's so much more time he's developed his habits. Would you agree with that? That at least from that standpoint, a 21 year old prospect versus you know inheriting a 38 year old prospect, it might be easier to improve that aspect, or is that something you think is just inherently uh, in Jones's DNA?
2: I uh, definitely think it's inherent. I, I think you can fix things with quarterbacks from their knees down for sure. And the way they time that up, I think Eli showed that better than anyone else. In 2014, after you know, a preseason with McAdoo, his footwork was much better. And he was much more efficient. He was it was I actually broke that down into a couple of pieces uh, earlier in the year cover one. And that that's what I thought kind of Shermer was gonna kind of tap back into a little bit. Um, clearly that that wasn't the case. Um, Side of it too. When you talk about all this stuff, like I would say that if the if the if the if the quarterback's feet are quick and light, they're going to be more trainable. I would say that Jones's feet are kind of in between light and heavy. You don't want a heavy-footed quarterback. A heavy-footed quarterback or quarterback that bobs up and down a lot and gets his head moving up and down level is not something that has been historically very trainable. You want him to stop moving that way first. So I think there's hope, but it's not. Um, but it's something that, yeah, I'm really, I'm really interested in see this, this whole thing. What Shermer wants to tackle in year one, if you're going to see it in year one, or if it's going to be that he does in private workouts in next off season.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, we'll see what the timeline is for Jones as we get closer uh, to getting on the field, as we get closer, uh, you know, further along this process, sure. but before we move on to the Jones pick and on to Dexter Lawrence and DeAndre Baker. I do want to talk, Nick, a little bit with you about kind of the overall process for the Giants and something that bothered me about last night. And, you know, in the old days, when, when when Jerry Reese and Mark Ross made a pick, as meaningless as it was, they would give a nice explanation for the pick after and during the post-draft co- press conference. They'd give you little minute details that made you excited about what they saw in this prospect that others can see. Obviously, the most infamous one is When Jerry Reese compared Adrian Robinson to the Jason Pierre Paul tight ends, which clearly didn't pan out. And like I said, most of it is meaningless. But when Dave Gettleman, the general manager of the Giants, sits there and tells fans that he fell in love with a prospect after watching him for three series at the Senior Bowl, and I know he said he also loved his film, but he did make this point about the Senior Bowl. And obviously, last year they drafted the Senior Bowl MVP. Apparently, you know, this game is very important in the Giants' valuation. But, you know, regardless of what happens with Jones, I just think there's inconsistencies in Gettleman's story. And I think he's taken a very arrogant approach to this, to this job. He's, he's in the past talked about how little importance he wants to put into analytics. And for me, Nick, I was a lot, it took me a lot longer to get this critical because I think that, and we'll never, well, you know, we're not going to get into this now, but I think the Odell Beckham trade had a lot more to, to do with all field stuff than anything else. And I'm not, I'm not sold myself from a lot of the conversations I've heard from championship NFL football players that having a me first player like Beckham and I I know there could be debate on whether or not it's me first, but you could just look, I have covered this team for a long time. And there was after every game, there was a lot of talk from him about what he did on the field or what he didn't do. And I just don't know, you know, you listen to, for example, you listen to Ryan Clark talk, or I'm sorry, not, not Ryan Clark, Ike Taylor, talk about why that Steelers championship team happened because their best player, Troy Palmao, was the most humble player in the locker room. But anyway, moving on, (laughs) where he really loses me, Nick, is when he starts to talk about, you know, value. He said multiple times before the draft class, Nick, that every pick was about value. So he preaches value. But at the same time, he could consider any pick a value when he sits there and he tells us that Josh Allen and Daniel Jones were graded out on the same line. And meanwhile, you know, it's, it's of course possible that, he, that, that he's right on this. There's no denying that. There's a chance that Daniel Jones might end up being an amazing NFL quarterback. You could say that about anyone. You could say about Josh Allen, last year's draft best. You can say about all these developmental quarterback prospects. Obviously there's a ceiling or else they wouldn't be drafted in the first place. But I just think that the way that he went about his post-draft presser and everything to that regard was very, I guess, inconsistent with what he has said before this would you agree with that
2: yeah it seemed like um there's a great twitter handle for uh for the investment world it's um it's called "Shit management says and it basically takes up like the bullshit quotes that you hear different right. companies say to investors and they kind of like make some kind of gloss over and feel better about themselves and that's what that's what he was giving many many very random weird comments yeah that that, were, that was not really showing any piece into his logic or not wanting to give away his logic, which I get, but right. you know, I like. I was saying to Dan before, like, I'm not saying you want like a rah-rah speech, but you can give an elevator pitch that talks about the bullish points of why you went to the podium and drafted a guy at six that really no one else thought was going to go until at least the, yeah. Last part of the first yeah, time. like and show that enthusiasm because that's what we, those that love ball we just want to talk ball like that's why I'm here like it's not yeah. about like like really not about the winning losing or being right or wrong it's about getting better and those guys generally like to do that. So I'm shocked that he doesn't like to do that, especially in a media room that that really wants a lot of things outlined outlined for them. And you hear other GMs like I've said this a million times, like Chris Ballard. These guys like they just kind of talk to you like, a human, and you kind of get an idea of what they think. Um, yeah. So I, I don't. I have no idea. I, I really don't. And I think that I get what I do know from what his history is is that he's going to overpay certain things, and they now value certain things a lot more than others. They value the mobility factor a lot more than others. I think. They value the – like you said, I mean, I think the, one of the biggest drivers is is the what they view the cultural fit, right? And I think they like the profile of whatever that is. I don't really know what it is. I know what the tape is. I don't know what the profile is for, for Jones himself. And and probably applies to Lawrence, too. And and, and that whole Clemson D-line, which is just a, like an awesome group. Like, I want to draft every one of those guys. You know, you know? so I, I get that part of the decision-making. But I don't know if the ball is really equaling out to what to what, what they're paying for the, from a value perspective.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, as we move forward, you just I think you just have to kind of wonder, you know, where I guess I would say, how long will will this go on for? I I mean, they're tied. This regime is now tied itself to Daniel Jones. When you do what you just said, Nick, and you kind of go outside of the script, uh, the structure and select a player at number six who you know, clearly has some flaws and agree. Like you said, Nick, all we wanted, all the positives that we talked about already on this, on this podcast, Nick, and I know we're not both. Neither of us are sold on him as a prospect, but all of the possibilities, you know, the ability to unlock Shermer's offensive scheme with the rollouts and the bootlegs, the ability for design runs and zone read in the red zone. Something we talked about all last season with the giants red zone, offense issues, all of those things could have been talked about by Gettleman. And while it's not a big deal in the long run, because obviously it has no factor in whether or not the Giants will win or lose football games. It's something that I think the fans deserve, and it's, I, think, I think it's something that they should have gotten. So, you know, that's just kind of a, a philosophical argument that me and Nick are having here, and we were talking about it a lot before the podcast, So we wanted to just dive it in and kind of find out what you guys think about it. So feel free to reach out to us on Twitter and let us know if you feel, felt a little cheated from that. But let's move on. The Giants obviously made two other first-round draft picks, and we want to get to them. So the Giants selected Dexter Lawrence, the Clemson defensive lineman at number 17 overall. And there were rumors that the Giants were interested in Christian Wilkins. He wasn't on the board at 17. I would have been interested to see if he was on the board, if they were taken Lawrence or Wilkins. There's also obviously interest in Cleland Farrell, the Giants brought him in for a private visit. He went at number four overall. When the Giants selected Lawrence, all of the offensive tackles pretty much, uh, with the exception of Jonah Williams, were on the board. Um, the Giants passed over them. Obviously, the cornerbacks were on the board. The Giants passed over them and went back to them. And as far as the edge rushers go, you know Montez Sweat was there, but there's there were question marks about his uh, about not only his off field uh, health issues and maybe some off field other issues. But as Nick and I broke down on the last podcast, or actually Nick, you broke it down so elegantly. You weren't exactly sure he was the right fit anyway for this defensive scheme. So they decided on Lawrence. Um, now, there's been a lot of negative reaction to this pick. I don't, I don't see it. I don't buy that negative reaction. I had Lawrence, as the number 20 overall player on my Giants big board. Um, So obviously they took him at 17. It's not unbelievable value, but some of those players ranked, I ranked ahead of him, like Jerry Tillery, for example, um, you know, were, or even other players were not playing at the same position. So what I'm driving at Nick here is that I trust the Giants a little bit more at any position on the defensive line than any other position. Last year, they saw something they liked on tape of BJ Hill. You know, you fast forward six months and he, and the guy has five and a half sacks while not even starting for the, you know, for all of the season and while playing from, you know, not even a position, you know, the five and the three techniques. So my question for you is this, Nick, from what you've seen with Dexter Lawrence, one, do you think it could end up being a good value? pick? Two, do you think that there's untapped potential for him as a pass rusher? Because that to me is the most important factor uh, for a defense alignment right now where the Giants stand. In James' Wedger's scheme, and then three. I'm giving you a hard one here, Nick. Do you believe that his presence can help unlock the past rushing prowess of other Giants defensive players?
2: Yeah, to the uh, to the first uh, the first part, I definitely think that from a value perspective, um, I'm I'm high on 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 uh, on Lawrence, but right now I don't think you can put it as a right now I don't think you put it as a value just because he's going to be. He, he he's a little more of a project i think because he's 340 pounds he said that he wants to cut weight he's a 340 pound freak he's not his body type is not like snacks he is he looks like a 310 pound guy on on tape he moves like a 310 pound guy on tape uh he played in limson's base front which really was a four eyes zero four eyes so for those listening it's basically a guy lining up on the. Inside of the tackle, a guy lining up at the nose tackle position, and the guy lining up inside the tackle on the other side. He was one of the guys on the outside there. He was not the zero tech. The zero tech was Wilkins. And there's a reason why teams do that and we can bypass all that. The bottom line is he actually rushed the passer, and I would say he's going to be more effective from the three tech position, particularly on sub package downs than than the one tech. He is not really a very strong two gapper in terms of an occupying space and push, pull, and, and basically punching out on the guy in front of him and then reading the, reading the keys that who's in front of him. He's better when he's moving and basically slanting or long sticking into different parts and different gaps in either a pressure or a run basically, uh, you know, playing either side. And um, so interestingly, I actually, I really like him. I think that he can, I like him because immediately he is as good as, I would say he's better than Ben Tomlinson and can unseat him pretty fast as the, as an interior D lineman, I think his pass uh, his pass rush potential is way way higher, um, and I think they yeah. think over time if he can get there, yeah, you're gonna have a he's a freak athlete. So what's his ceiling? I think it's kind of unknown. And you have a guy that was a five star recruit coming out of high school, like just a he's a different type of player on their line. Um, I just think the hard part is is he's gonna have to change, and then. I'm a little surprised they would make this pick without having solidified the edge first. And that gets into a whole philosophical discussion Discussion because I do think that a guy like Wilkins' profile, who is more of a speed rusher from the inside, is the better way to go for the Giants. But that's just my judgment. Their judgment is clearly that he's a freak and that, that Betra could do things with him. The, the last part, or the other part of the question, can he unlock more of the scheme? I'm not really sure about that right now, except in, in twists and stunts. He's going to be way better than anyone they have. As a kicker yeah. or a driver in stunts. Um, so not to get super technical, but we do. Um, BJ Hill, BJ Hill struggled at times last year getting outside contain in a TE, a tackle end stunt when he was the tackle, pushing outside and picking the, the offensive tackle and getting outside. It's very difficult to get outside, especially as a rookie. The coaching points are difficult. This guy, Lawrence, does this and, and like really does it well. And he's in and, he, and he's pretty violent with the tackles at impact. So You know, I think that's something where it's immediately going to help that part of it. But the rest of it is going to be up to Betcher's creativity uh, because it's not like it's going to be an outside rusher that's going to demand or command double teams or slides or that type of thing.
1: Yep, And I think that you you bring up a bunch of excellent points there. Um, And I love the technical breakdown there, Nick, because even I can learn from you, which is always my favorite thing. But let me just say this, Nick, there's a few notes and I think that played into this role. I'm also on board with this pick and I've, you know, in addition to my own personal ranking of where I had him on the giants board as a top 20 player. um, And my personal opinion, the giants have done a really excellent job developing defensive linemen throughout the last 10 to 15 years. You look at, the player who Pat Shermer right in his post-draft press conference compared him to, and that's Linville Joseph. And then you go over to mock draftable where they kind of take the athletic testing. And I wish I could have seen his three cone drill um, and the, and the agility testing, but it's not, it's not up, and I guess he didn't do that, but one of his closest athletic comparisons, Nick is Linville Joseph. Another one of his closest athletic comparisons is Elodie Nada. So this is not exactly a Damien Harrison type player. I mean, he, at six foot four and a half and 342 pounds, he has a wingspan of 84 inches in the 97th percentile among defensive linemen, arm length in 34 and a half in the 90th percentile, his hand size is in the 88th percentile, and he had 36 bench press reps in the 96th percentile, and he had a, a, almost a five flat 40 yard depth. So I believe the Giants not only like what they saw already on tape from him, they think there's a lot of untapped potential. And I'm going to go ahead and bank on that for, for the reasons we, I just previously stated, but also because, you know, you saw during the pre-draft process when Mike Garofalo reported this, James Betcher was at his pro day and that's, and James Betcher took a liking to him at his pro day. So specific to the giant scheme, there may be some areas just like you kind of broke down Nick that they already see. And they already believe that, you know, if we can improve this area, we can make a big, bigger impact on our defense than by, you know, adding another rotational Edge, at least based on the ones who are on the board, to compete with Marcus Golden and Lorenzo Carter, and you know whoever else they might bring in there at the end of the draft, and you know they're going to take an edge at some point in this in the in the next uh, two days. So for me, I like the pick overall. Um, and if I were to give it a grade, I would give it a strong B plus. Where would you land on the grade here? And obviously, for 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 uh, for reasons that we don't have to discuss, we didn't put a grade on the Jones pick. But where would you give a grade for this? Uh,
2: as a player individual, like like absent of the the team chem the team makeup that he's going to uh, a minus a minus mm-hmm. to, to 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 B plus to within the team structure, I'm a little i puzzled. But that has nothing to do with him. I think he's going to be fun to watch. And really fun to see what he becomes if he gets. I don't want to say this because this is like whenever you start throwing this shit out there, it's just it's like you just give him the kiss of death. But Fletcher Cox is a 335-pound guy who can win with speed and power. There's not many guys that have the potential to do that. That's what right. they're swinging at when they, when they take this. I right. don't see it yet, but they see that, and that's cool. Let them run with that because like, that, that's a real thing that you can have there, and there's not many of those guys that have that ability with that size and the athleticism. So, you know, again, two – I to say projects. Two, two guys that need certain parts of development in the first round – but the, the guy at seventeen I really that's that's gonna be exciting development,
1: I think. I like it, Nick. And like I said on our last podcast, and I'm standing by it, and I'll see if I'm proven wrong in five or eight years or so. One of these three defensive linemen on Clemson is going to bust. That's my personal opinion. We'll find out soon enough. I think one of them was benefiting from the others. I don't think it's Lawrence. I've already said I think it's Farrell, but he was obviously the first man off the board. So we'll see. We'll see if he can you know win in some of the same ways he went he won in college off the edge. But I'm excited about this Lawrence pick, I'll be honest. But I'm most excited, Nick, about the last pick. I don't love the process the Giants went about. I don't think you should ever really be trading up in the NFL draft. I think you should let it play to you. And, you know, there's some really, really good economic articles, uh, you know, er, sorry, articles that use economics to explain why you should always be trading down the NFL draft and almost never be trading up. But Giants did it. They gave up the two draft picks they acquired via – Damon Harrison and Eli Apple. And I don't know for sure, Nick, but something tells me Dave Gettleman in his mind, rationalized it. Like we needed to get Apple and a Harrison off the team anywhere. So, you know, why, what <laughs> these picks were just luxury to us. They were bad locker room guys, whatever, but they drafted Deandre Baker, Nick, and this was my most excited pick from a value standpoint. They got him at 30. I had him as my 21st best player on my giants, big board. I had him as my number one overall cornerback for the giants, Nick. Um, and again, I don't know if that ranking would be the same. If I was, if I was covering another team, a zone heavy team, I'd probably have Byron Murphy or a team that believes in, you know, totally taking a swing for the fences on a guy like greedy Williams. Who To me, as I don't like greedy Williams at all. I think his frame is too slight and I don't, don't like to draft players. who don't like to tackle. Um, but Baker's not one of those players. If you're for me with Deandre Baker, if you're looking for a weakness, it's only the straight line speed and maybe his ability in one-on-one man coverage to keep up with super fast wide receivers on vertical routes. But uh, for as far as what he's shown from what I've seen and from what I've read and from what, you know, a lot of the coverage statistics show you're getting a player who hasn't given up a passing touchdown since 2016. You're getting another player from that Kirby Smart Georgia defense. And Nick, you've talked about this, and you're the one who put me onto this. The Giants run a lot of the same defensive concepts that Georgia runs, and maybe that's a reason why they've now selected three player or two players in back-to-back years from Georgia: Lorenzo Carter. And DeAndre Baker. And then if you want to go a little further, they used one of their priority UDFA signings last year on Aaron Davis, the cornerback out of Georgia, who I really thought was going to make the team and make some kind of noise until he got injured during camp. So Nick, what are your thoughts on the DeAndre Baker pick for me? I'm all in.
2: Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, as a player, uh, I like it. Um, I like kind of what you really just, just, you know, I think you kind of made it better. The scheme fit immediately. The scheme—he's—he's very—he's very scheme. He can play many different things. He's got experience playing match, which helps. I like him a little better as a boundary corner. So what I mean by that is, in a three-by-one set, he's covering the lone one wide receiver on either side of the field, the lone X wide receiver. I think he can do that. To Dan's point, his straight line speed isn't necessarily there, but I'm okay with that because of his—I mean, his ability to compete at the catch point. That's what leaps off the tape for him. You know, anything where he's driving not just driving downhill but in man having to find the guy's hands or find the ball this guy does this very well and to be frank it's a weak draft class I for corners i think this is kind of i think you either go with a guy like this i agree with you on williams or you're looking at a guy third or fourth round which is why guys like you and me like sam Beals so much in the supplemental draft as a third rounder so i like what they're i like that that aspect forget I think, they, like you said, I think they spent a little bit and it's kind of interesting how they're reaching to get back in the first round. It felt like a little bit of a panic move, um, but I, I yeah, I, I like it. I think they absolutely need it. I think that there's, I think that the defensive backfield is, is very, they need competition there. Whether, I don't think he's going to bump inside and play slot. I think he can, if he had to. Um, I think Sam Beal can actually do that too. I think he did that at times. Right. I remember correctly in my notes. So it's, it's, you're giving different options for different matchups. Because look at his profile. He's 5'11", 185-ish, right? He's a little undersized. Yeah. The is what? He's long. He's 6'2 he's and a half I think. So you have, you're, you're setting the foundation good differentiated quarters in some ways that can both play soft press and are comfortable in, in, in multiple schemes. That's huge. Um, the other side of it, too, just a quick spoiler alert. I was watching Baker because I think that to Dan's point um, – DeAndre, not DeAndre uh, Walker, the Jack linebacker, outside linebacker. I think made him play for the Giants in the third or fourth round. Uh, he's a guy that is very much like Lorenzo Carter, but is kind of he's a little bit better a pass rusher, at least on tape. So anyway, just that's why I am watching. And um, so yeah, I like the pick. I like that they had. I like that they that they, t- they took a stand, uh, especially since they did not go after guys in the free agency market on the cornerback side. Because let's be honest, Jenkins is probably not going to be here after next season. That's just the reality of, of the world, and he's getting older, too. So you have to plan for these premium positions and, and pay the price right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you, I, I know we've discussed in the past our your feelings on pro football focus versus mine, but I do think they do a good job of analyzing some positions for sure. Cornerbacks, one of them I've always felt like they've done a good job with, and he's had back-to-back 90-plus grades from pro football focus um, <laughs> <laughs> while playing at like the SEC. And like I said, hasn't given up a touchdown since 2016. So this is a player I'm very excited about. But before we move on um, to day two, and we're obviously excited for that tonight, we're going to answer your questions as well that you had from day one. So let's jump into those right now. Gregory Fontaine asks, will the Giants trade back into the second round for offensive line edge or linebacker? And what would be the cost?
2: Uh... <sighs> I see that I, I don't know the cost I think that I think they, they're gonna get back in the top 100 I think they have to um, and I because I just think that so many of those of the day three picks that they have are real wild cards and I think they would be better off with at least with one other option in the top 100
1: yeah I mean it's Dave Gettleman Greg so you can be sure that he's gonna try to trade back up like like we said before although all economics and analytics suggest that you should always right. be looking to trade back. That's not Gettleman's mindset and he doesn't believe in that stuff. He's already made it clear that analytics are not important to him for what, you know, he has his own approach. And so I don't think they're going to trade back up in the second. It's just going to be too hard. They have the almost, the, I believe it's the last, is it the last pick in the third round? They've numbered 95 overall. It might be the last pick in the third round. I think there's a better chance, Greg, that they'll package that pick and with others, uh, including potentially a 2020 pick. You know Gettleman's not afraid to trade next year's picks. Um, again, he's just not afraid to trade. Uh, assets to move up and I think they'll probably move up my guess would be they move up to the beginning of the third round so they'll wait like 30 35 ish picks and then find a guy that they like just too much and they can't wait on um, but I think that's probably the best uh, I mean the most likely scenario I would say uh, Travis Del Sandro says why so this is just a funny question that I want to feature <laughs> I mean I'll, 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 I'll just break it down to one thing Travis I believe why is because the Giants don't care about your about consensus valuations, and they're looking for other things at the quarterback position than other teams. So their evaluation of the players may be different than other teams. Um, David Seidenfrault asks, or Seidenfrau asks, how likely uh, are the Giants to trade a 2020 pick to grab another asset? Um, they already grabbed their quarterbacks. So they don't need those assets as much for next year, and they have an extra three picks for next year, or they have an extra third-round pick for next year.
2: Yeah, basically kind of what we just said, right? Like I think that yeah, yep. day two is, is day two within the and like Dan said, I didn't realize that the last question was second round only. I think the third round is going to be some spots, and and yeah, that that that'll be that'll be the way to go, I think.
1: Okay. Uh Benji asks us, Nick, are they counting on BJ Hill to make an even bigger jump as a pass rusher, hence the Lawrence pick?
2: Uh I don't that is Super related, um, just because I think that they're a little different in their profile, uh, but they are interior linemen. I think this, um, I think he, he, I think he had a good year as a passer. He had, he had the sacks. He had the production. He's got a good arm over move. He's got a good motor. In fact, I really like his motor. Uh, I like him as a leader. I think the the Lawrence pick is more of a. Guys, gotta basically bring out the best. Where it's not, hey, these are guys. What was the term that um, that, uh, that Banks has used with you? The scholarly. It's not a scholarly um, roster. Where basically, once you have your position, you have your position. Yeah, they, they want competition. I think Lawrence is is the fire to help Tomlinson get better, and vice versa, and everything. It's, it's basically come in and be part of a two a two D line
1: rotation, and he adds a couple elements that uh, that other interior alignment don't have. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see because we've talked in the, in the past about how the competition at other positions will help this roster. So you know that 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 process or that line of thinking should apply as well to the defensive line, which we both agree is one of the most important positions on a uh, in a roster building. Um, another question from Benji asks: Will Daniel Jones play if the Giants are below five hundred in Week Eight? Uh,
2: I, I think he has to because now. If you have if you have back to back years in your in your five and eleven and you're the head coach, I, I I know that Giants and I know that now they're hitched to, to Jones and, and whatever. But I think Schirmer understands that you know it's that he's offensive line, but there are many, um, and you know I think I think he will play him because he's he's going to want to give his he's going to want to try to you know ride some wave at, the, at through the end of the season. Uh, I, I think, yeah, I think yeah. he
1: will. Yeah. No doubt, Nick. I I would agree with you on that. I think that I think that this. I think the Giants have, have made it seem publicly like they're all behind Eli Manning, but it's clear to me via their actions, you know, using the number six overall pick on a quarterback that they're not fully bought in. Now, if they had made a trade for someone like Josh Rosen, where you don't have to give up as high of a draft pick, you don't make a financial commitment to that player, I wouldn't be as sure because I would think that that's kind of just like a. We'll take a chance on this guy with an eye toward the 2020 draft class at the quarterback position. But we know now they're not going to be able to get a quarterback in the 2020 class because they've hitched their wagon to Daniel Jones. So the fat, the sooner they can get him in the mix, the better chance the Giants have, if they're right about Jones, of building a winning franchise. We know from the way that NFL rosters have been built, winning rosters, player teams that have won or made the Super Bowl in recent years, a lot of them have the same thing in common common a quarterback on his rookie contract sure you can point to all these other examples as well but most of them involve Tom Brady I mean come on like we're not talking we're talking about very few Tom Brady Ben Roethlisberger Eli Manning and to name a few that have players or, or players who have won before or I'm sorry after their rookie contract was over and they already paid against the salary cap but it's not the safest way to or not the safest I'm sorry that's not the right one it's not the optimal way in my opinion to build a winning roster um so I believe the faster they get him on the field, the better if, you know, if they're in fact correct about Jones. And our last question for today comes from client nine who asks, how can Gettleman fail to draft a pass rusher with his first three round, uh, with his first three draft picks?
2: Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, um, so one way to to look at this, maybe that, the profile that Betcher wants on the outside is is enough. Is, is is the priority is a dual threat to drop into cover to drop into, into coverage and to brush the passer. So that's why he doesn't want to spend premium level he premium pick on on, on production from the on, on the, at the edge. He would rather get a guy who has the traits to be able to play in the system. Again, kind of basing the model, if is looking at George's defense and those and those influences from those types of players. In college, you know those guys don't have dominant production pass rushers right. either on the edge, so maybe that's the answer. That's the only thing I can give you because I I, I don't I don't get it, and I don't get it because here's the other side what I don't get. If you if, if you're if you can improve your secondary in, in two seasons, which now the Giants are getting there, right? The easiest way to improve your secondary is to improve your pass rush, like and one guy can do that in the NFL, you know. They're not going to get Cleo Max, but just turn on Cleo Max tape, and you can see that So the impact is there. The, the, the potential impact is there. So uh, yeah, I don't I don't understand it because if especially in this league where everything is quick game and everything is under two point like we said two point four two point five seconds, if you have a guy who's a three tech who can collapse the pocket and getting past pass rushing lanes, you can create you can disrupt. The, you can disrupt the quick game this isn't a five and seven step drop league where you need a guy burning around the edge all the time not that way and so i, I don't get it especially not only and that's just really emphasize this point but this isn't just three first round picks this is a this is two top six picks and one and, one, and then another one being a top 20 pick so you know in two, in, in, eight, in 18 months yeah i there's a it's a premium position in this league and and it's and it's not being addressed
1: yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of it has to do with the scheme, Nick, and you, you touched on it, but I think that they have a different opinion of how they're going to generate a pass rush uh, as a defense based on their scheme. I also think that dex they really do believe that Dexter Lawrence will be a better pass rusher than than he than he is or has proven to this point in his career, I guess you should say. So I think it's kind of a twofold question, but, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think that, that the best way to improve your secondary is via the pass rush, and I think everybody understands this concept in the NFL – um but you know there's also a chance that giants feel comfortable with their evaluations of the mid round uh pass rushers edge rushers within their uh as specific to their scheme because again the one advantage we have talked about um previously on this podcast nick and i do believe truly believe in is that because their defense is very unique and it's really different than what you see across the league they will have an opportunity to draft players that are much higher on their draft board and for and for you know correct reasons based on the schematics than other teams so you know time will tell there i do expect them to pick up at least one pass rusher in the next two days but you know we'll, we'll find out as we move forward but on that note guys we are going to sign off for today you will expect you can expect to hear back from us at the end of this draft class once we have more time to digest all of the late round picks a lot of the players who we're gonna have to learn a lot more about so sometime next week you'll hear from us again thanks again for tuning in as always guys We really appreciate your support on this podcast. We're seeing the numbers grow every week, and that's a testament to you guys, the listeners. If you do enjoy the podcast, please do us a favor and tell your friends, tell your family, tell whoever you want. Help us spread the word. And at the same time, please do us the favor of downloading the podcast via iTunes, subscribing to it, and of course, giving us a a rating and a review if you can to help us boost up that algorithm. But on that note, thanks again, guys, and we will talk to you soon.